When Shelby was 12, she wrote a poem all about a very scary type of fruit. So this is the poem. It's called Evil Bananas. <laughs> Interpret it as you will. <laughs> Save me, bananas. <laughs> Save me, bananas. Stick me up your butt, bananas. <laughs> Eat me, bananas. Eat me, bananas. Stick me down your throat, bananas. <laughs> Kill me, bananas. Kill me, bananas. Stick a knife in my chest, bananas. Love me, bananas. Love me, bananas. Hug me while you can, bananas. No, no, bananas. No, no, bananas. Don't squeeze me too hard, bananas. Let go, bananas. Let go, bananas. Take your hands off my throat, bananas. Thank you, bananas. Thank you, bananas. You have killed me, and I'm in heaven. Woo. That's Shelby reading a very strange and very dark poem about evil bananas. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Three Things They Wrote As Kids, Montreal. Hello, it's nice to see you. How you doing? Boy, oh boy. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Montreal, we have a breakup song written by an eight-year-old, a trip to a faraway planet, and the dangers of indenting your paragraphs. This stuff is weird and wonderful, it is awkward and awesome, and it can help us understand who we are. So think about who you were when you were a kid. And stick around. One of the great things about kid writing is how it can go from the ridiculous to the sublime and then right back to the ridiculous. Our next reader, Simone, brought a few short diary entries written when she was 10 and 12. And when I asked her what they were about, she said war, deforestation, and whether or not she liked a boy. Please welcome to our stage, Simone. Okay, dear diary, do I like Sébastien, part two. I couldn't find part one, so. <laughs> part two, I know I am ugly, I'm not cool, and I'm out of it, so why would he ever like me? But do I even like him? <laughs> Outline, part one, his good points, part two, his bad points, part three, conclusion. <laughs> okay. Part one, his good points. He's funny, he's interesting, he's friendly, he's helpful. Part two, his bad points. He swears. <laughs> he is cruel to animals. <laughs> he is a polluter. <laughs> and he is gross. <laughs> Part three, conclusion. <laughs> this is pretty close. <laughs> That's the whole conclusion. <laughs> Dear diary, war. <laughs> war. There is a gulf crisis happening, and we hear it on the radio and on the televisions. 
It's all everyone's been hearing about, Iraq, Kuwait, Israel. At least we get to hear about bombs exploding on the radio and on TV instead of hearing them outside our window. Right now, I feel very sorry for all those innocent people who are going to die. It is just awful. Mostly, what I'm thinking about is war in general. How most wars get started because of one leader who wants more than he possesses. Why is there war? What can be done to prevent it? When we have a war, it's like we're committing suicide to the human race. And quite frankly, that is the last thing we need right now. <laughs> this is about death versus life. Bomb equals death. Bomb equals anger. Bomb equals stupid. We need to find another solution. And also, how do you like my new signature? <laughs> and then I sign my name 10 times. Okay, dear diary, I know I should have indented there. <laughs> dear diary, I know I should have indented there, but I have made it a policy of mine to conserve paper by never indenting. <laughs> we learned in school that people are cutting down trees faster than they can grow back in the world. It's called deforestation. So why do teachers always tell us to indent? It wastes so much paper. Paper equals trees. We are destroying our planet. We only have one of it. Indenting has to stop. Some kids spend a lot of time imagining the future and what life will be like when they're all grown up. And often, they are charmingly naive about adult life because, of course, they have no firsthand experience whatsoever. When Julie was a kid, she imagined what it would be like to fall in love and go on a date. And she also imagined what it would be like to fall out of love and break up with someone. And long before she actually had those experiences, she wrote about them. Live on stage in Montreal, here's Julie reading a journal entry that describes her perfect guy and her perfect date, and then a breakup song she wrote when she was eight. The ideal guy. The man that would be perfect for me would have to be older and taller than me. So if I want to kiss him, he'd have to pick me up slightly to reach my lips. He'd have to be gorgeous and maybe rich. My ideal guy is Joe McIntyre. The perfect date would be with Joe McIntyre. <laughs> I would wear a black sleeveless top with a bikini top underneath and black jean shorts. He would wear a black short sleeve shirt and white pants. <laughs> we would go to a party or a dance. 
He would say, want to dance? (laughs) I would say, sure. (laughs) He would put his arms around me and hold me really tight. I would put my arms around his neck and lay my head on his shoulder. He would then take me into a room to sit on a bed. (laughs) I would sit on his lap. (laughs) We would then kiss and French and then make out. And finally, this is the breakup song I wrote um, without ever having dated anyone. (laughs) It's called I'm Sorry. I don't know how to say this because I used to love you so. I really loved you dearly, but now I'm letting go. I hope that I don't hurt you, and I hope I don't make you cry. I'm sorry that it has to work this way, but it's just the way it has to be. I have to say I'm sorry, so sorry as can be, because I told you how much I loved you, and you told me how much you loved me. But now my feelings are changing. I just don't love you anymore. And now my heart is breaking because it hurts to walk right out that door. (laughs) I really hate to leave you. We used to live so happily. But it really wouldn't have worked out with all the love confusions in me. (laughs) I have to say I'm sorry. Sorry as can be. It's so hard for me to say goodbye. You were a really, really really great guy in parentheses quietly i'm so sorry um i watched a lot of soap operas as a kid my mom was a big fan of all my children which was probably not the best tool to be teaching me about dating and relationships. I think I could have actually used that breakup song in my adult life, though. I think it was very sensitive and to the point and pretty much uh, sums up the reason why I think so many relationships end. If I could go back in time and give young Julie advice on love, I'd probably say, you can stop wasting your time searching for the ideal guy, because you're going to end up gay. Julie was not the only reader at our Montreal show who shared song lyrics. When our next reader, Sarah, was 12... She and her younger sister co-wrote a song all about clothes. Uh, It's called All Dressed Up, No Place to Go, written in winter of 2002. I've always wondered what it would be like to get yourself all fancied up and have some place to go. 
I'd like to know what it's like to be able to go to a store and buy some party clothes and not feel the shame and guilt of knowing you'll never have a place to wear them. <laughs> Chorus. All dressed up, no place to go. No fancy balls, no cocktail parties, not even a business dinner. Just me, myself, and I, all dressed up and no place to go. Everybody has that formal outfit stuffed in the back of the closet, but only some of us will ever get to wear it. Others, like me, will try it on a few times, prance around and get all prettied up, but never get to wear it anywhere else. Chorus, all dressed up, no, <laughs> no place to go, no fancy balls, no cocktail parties, not even a business dinner. Just me, myself, and I, all dressed up and no place to go. Sometimes I get all dressed up just to pretend I actually got some place to go. And I wish and I hope that one day I'll actually have some place to go. So I won't have to pretend again. All dressed up, no place to go, no fancy balls, no cocktail parties, not even a business dinner. Just me, myself, and I, all dressed up and no place to go. All dressed up, just waiting for someone. Not even a business dinner. When Patrick was 10, he wrote a one-page science fiction story. Now, the original was written in French, but at our Montreal show, Patrick translated it into English. Please welcome to our Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Patrick. So, one summer morning, colder than usual... Me, Max, and my friend Rick go to a new planet in the solar system. The planet is called Galaxius. We are in the year 2089. The planet Galaxius is near the asteroids where Jupiter is. Rick and I go into the spaceship, and then the countdown begins. <laughs> Everyone in the ship is totally sweating. They pass out. 15 minutes before we get to our destination, we wake up. We are at two kilometers from Galaxius. <laughs> we land and we walk outside. There was a beautiful, luminous city. But on the left, there was another city that was all slimy. And it kind of looked like something out of a horror movie. The whole crew walked towards the nice city. As soon as one of our guys went in, he suddenly transformed into a skeleton in two seconds. It was a trap. So we destroyed it with a grenade. <laughs> As you do. There was aliens all around us, attacking from all sides. We defended ourselves like madmen. <laughs> we started running towards the door, the metal door. We made it explode with a grenade. <laughs> and we ran through the tunnel to the surface. We were really tired, and we decided to go to the other city the slimy city, and the aliens seemed very nice, and we had a party. <laughs> but Rick knew something was up. He didn't trust them. He went to spy on them, 
And he was right. The aliens were carnivores. And we were the meal of the party. He tells me while shooting everywhere like a maniac. It was a very quick fight. We got into battle formation and we started heading towards the exit, but at the last minute, Rick got captured by the aliens. He's screwed. It's just a story, guys. He screamed in horror. He said, go save yourselves. I'm done for. I'm gonna kill them all. And then he detonated his super grenade. His sacrifice gave us the chance to return back to the spaceship. We got out of the planet, and now, epilogue. <clears throat> During the voyage, we cried at the loss of our blank, because the teacher put a sticker. Goes to show, there's no problem a grenade can't solve. Kids call things like they see them. They are straight shooters, they are not afraid to speak their minds, and that can make kids some of the harshest critics around. When Ainsley was in grade nine, everybody in her music class had to review a concert. So Ainsley wrote a review entitled, The Seven Last Words of Christ Thank God. <laughs> Please welcome to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Ainsley. Friday, April 5th, 1996, the St. Pius Parish Church packed its pews to the max with an excited audience eagerly awaiting the Brantford premiere of The Seven Last Words of Christ, an Easter cantata by Théodore Dubois. Unfortunately, the quality of performance didn't exactly equal the brilliance of its composition, leaving a full house feeling empty. <laughs> The main hindrance to my enjoyment was the orchestra's playing disability. <laughs> Although it combined musicians from 12 to 1200 years old in an ensemble, it was quite easy to see or rather hear the inexperienced. Especially audible was one or perhaps both of the young French horn players who on every attempted entry capped. The oboe player looked old and experienced enough to have been able to witness what he was playing about. <laughs> But he still managed to untune himself at all the most crucial moments. That's actually not like a musical term, untune yourself. <laughs> His lack of vibrato killed off most of the musically intelligent people in the audience. The one man, and man is in italics, percussion section, seemed to drown out the entire orchestra at times with vicious timpani rolls and unchoked cymbal crashes before moments of silence insulted the atmosphere. But I guess that's what happens when you get a man to do the job. <laughs> On the whole, the orchestra barely ever followed the conductor, tuned themselves, or balanced their sound, and the effect was quite discontenting. The chorus, however, was excellent. 
Their strong and powerful entry grabbed our attention early in the program and made us look forward to their next part. Sometimes, however, the chorus drowned out the orchestra with their enormous vocal faculty, and even the soloists were overpowered a few times. This was the fault of both ensembles, who should have just worked with one another more. In general, though, the balance between the two was sufficient. There were three soloists who, put together, sung the major portion of the performance. All three soloists were dressed up in evening wear, promoting the atmosphere of professional concert, as opposed to the reality, small church production. (laughs) Despite a rather failed attempt on the orchestra's behalf to appear to know what they were doing, the performance was, vocally, quite a show. If it weren't for the boringly religious theme, I would recommend the seven last words of Christ for both viewing and performing. But unless you wish to mount this show yourself, I'd say leave it. Thank you. A lot of what we hear at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is about the transition from childhood into young adulthood. When our next reader, Anna, was 13, she felt pretty conflicted about growing up, and she wrote all about her feelings in her diary on her birthday. February 24th. Today is my birthday. I am 13. 13. It is unbelievable. I just wish that as great as turning 13 is, is that I was still a child. I am like Peter Pan. I don't want to grow up. I want to stay a child forever. Unfortunately, that is not the way life works. Now, I am a young woman. In my past diaries, I have my life stories, so there is no point in me doing that. So, life story, blah, blah. Like I said, I don't want to grow up. I'd rather stay in elementary school than go to high school. In the pages of this diary, the future will unfold. I wonder how it will turn out. Maggie, my sister, and me were just playing Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, birthday gift, on the computer. Today was great. The only damper on the celebrations was Miss McLean. My stupid, rigid, stuck-in-her-ways, can't-draw-a-straight-line-but-her-mouth-is-always-one math teacher. Sorry, Miss McLean. She changed this test we are having on Wednesday to tomorrow. Ugh. I should go. I have to study for a certain test that should have been on Wednesday. Good night, Anna, age 13. So later in the year, we went on a big... uh, I I grew up on Vancouver Island, and we went on a big uh, Eastern Canada road trip um, with my family. July 12th, 2003. I seriously worry about all of our sanity when we're on holiday. I know we're supposed to be relaxing, but seriously, this whole vacation thing is overrated. I'm not trying to be a downer or anything. I mean, I'm loving our holiday. But the thing is, it's our holiday, not my holiday. I think maybe holidays should be taken solo. Everyone's driving each other a little insane. Mum, well, 
Let's just say that when she isn't taking her meds on a daily basis and is premenstrual, <laughs> things can get a bit scary. Dri I'm so sorry, Mom. Driving is the worst. Anytime there's a slight danger potential, she makes this gasping sound. It freaks us all out and makes Dad slam on his brakes, which then sends me and Maggie, my sister, jolting forward. Then Dad goes, I know, I know, or what car, where is it? Seriously, I worry about our blood pressure. <laughs> Mom, due to being premenstrual, is taking things really personally. Which is driving dad crazy. When dad makes a huffy breath, then mom gets mad. Speaking of dad, I now know whether any restaurant slash museum is one, two, or three stars, thanks to dad's guidebook, which he reads religiously. Maggie's little quirks are what are really starting to bother me. And then I don't go on to say what they are. Um, of course, like I said, I'm having a wonderful time, but I think I'm going to need a vacation from my vacation when I get home. If you have a family road trip coming up, I would like to remind you that the entire back catalog of this show is available for free and has been proven to reduce family road trip conflicts. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at La Sala Rosa in Montreal and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Special thanks this time to Ainsley McNini. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is an independent production. It is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can support the show, visit Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Com. That's also where you'll find our upcoming tour dates. We are headed to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Yellowknife, and Whitehorse, and we are still on the lookout for readers in Yellowknife and Whitehorse. So if you know anybody who should share their kid writing on our stage, get in touch. One more time, that's grownups read things they wrote as kids.com. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>